Good morning and welcome to another episode of CCT Live, Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast uh, coming to you every week, uh, most weeks in any case. I skipped the last uh, two, so I apologize for that, but every Thursday at 9 a.m. generally speaking. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy. I'm joined today by Christine Legere, a reporter here who covers marijuana, the town of Falmouth, scientific organizations down in Woods Hole, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. I I didn't have on my list, but uh, Joint Base Cape Cod. And anything else, uh, we basically throw at you, Christine. So thanks for that. We'll talk today about a story you had in yesterday's paper uh, related to a report that found uh, the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution may have been hit by Chinese hackers. Uh, And the big story this week, Pilgrim's emergence from the lowest performing category uh, among the country's nuclear uh, power plants. Uh, We'll also talk about uh, records that the lawyer for Thomas Latanowicz, um, who was accused of killing uh, Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon, is seeking in that case, and the denial of a new trial in the Trudy Hall murder case. Uh, Then we'll take a look ahead at a story about Highland Light in Truro. Uh, You can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website, capecuttimes.com, or checking us out on any of our social media channels. Uh, Christine, getting right into it, this uh, report uh, originally reported in the Wall Street Journal, um, but obviously has a local connection. As we like to say here, all things uh, come back to Cape Cod or, or, or lead to Cape Cod. Uh, what was this uh, report about and, and uh, what was uh, Huey's reaction to it? Well, the Wall Street Journal reported on Tuesday that 27 universities in the United States, Canada, and Southeast Asia have been targeted by Chinese hackers, likely from Beijing and that the majority had connections to Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, the largest oceanographic institution in the country. So um, iDefense had produced the report, which is a division of Accenture Security, and uh, the cyber attacks appeared to be aimed at securing maritime technology that had military applications. Um, Another link to um, Woods Hole was a group called Acoustics Communication Group, which works on undersea communication, and it's MIT, Penn State, and University of Washington who had been targeted as well. And and that group, the acoustics group that you mentioned, is a group within Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. It's a unit of theirs. Yeah, and and so again, these 27 universities uh, that this report says uh, were targeted by Chinese hackers, every single one of them had a connection to, to Hui in some way, shape, or form. They said the majority. Okay. And, and uh, again, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Hui is tied uh, very intricately to, uh, to actually the military, to, yes. to the Navy in particular. I think some, some of their ships or one of their ships is actually a Navy ship in reality. Yes. Um, so they do have these connections. Um, and, and again, they do a lot of uh, this type of uh, work that you know is essentially a, a lot of research and development occurs there that mm-hmm. uh, eventually leads to either commercial or you know potentially military purposes. Uh, eventually, it's not a not a military organization by any means. It's a scientific organization. Right. But as with all scientific organizations, there's that tie-in. You can understand to a certain extent why Chinese hackers would be interested in, in getting this. But what, what did you reach out to Hui, to somebody at the organization? Yeah, what did the they say? Woman, Aaron Koenig just called the whole thing speculation. And she said that the report produced by iDefense hasn't even been released yet. So she said at this point, it's hard to evaluate exactly what they're saying and the connections in it. She also said that... Um, 
due to some indications of cyber attacks that had happened back in 2015, Hui had done a huge amount of work to really beef up their systems, and they didn't believe there had been any sort of breach since 2015, and they were confident in that. Yeah, and that was a big deal in 2015 when when that was revealed. Uh, it's certainly not the only instance here on the Cape. There was uh, Cape Cod Community College just recently last year uh, lost at least temporarily $800,000 in a in a uh, cyber attack. Uh, they said they they feel like they've either gotten back or are going to get back all of that money somehow. Um, and then Massachusetts Maritime Academy, maybe a little lower level, had their website uh, attacked. Uh, I think several years ago, and and uh, they said that that really, you know, nothing was nothing was breached. It was like kicking in the front door, but not getting any further, I think is how mm. they referenced it at the time. So, it, but it is interesting, again, to think of these organizations on the Cape, and they thought that they may have been attacked because somebody thought they were affiliated with the military. They are a, uh, an academy uh, that trains you know, people to be out on the ocean. Some of those people may go onto the Coast Guard to some um, military activities, but it's not specifically for that, so to speak. Um, so it is interesting to think about all these connections back to the Cape. And I was talking to somebody uh, just last night about this, and they said, you know, there are two types of organizations out there, the people who uh, uh, know they've been uh, hit by a cyber attack and the people who don't know they've been hit by a cyber attack but but have. It seems like Huey may, maybe they fall into both these categories because the 2015 attack that they knew about and, and uh, was revealed, and in this case, this, this report saying that they were likely hit by one because of their connections to all these groups. So it be interesting to follow and see uh, once that report is uh, out what it has to say. Um, a couple of uh, uh, murder uh, cases uh, going on here on the Cape, or or one that is is you know more active than the other. Um, but uh, in the the first one here, it's obviously a case that got a lot of attention and is going to get a lot of attention going forward. Uh, the killing of Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon back in April of last year. Uh, Thomas Latanowich, a 30-year-old man who's accused of in that killing. Um, uh, Sean Gannon had showed up to a uh, um, uh, a house in Marston's Mills with a, a group of law enforcement who were uh, seeking to arrest Latanowich and, and was shot and killed, as was his uh, uh, dog Nero, uh, although Nero survived. Um, so in this case, it's it's moving forward. Uh, Latanowich is obviously uh, jailed uh, until the trial, um, but his lawyer at this point is looking for records um, and he says he's doing this because he plans to file a motion to have Latanowich's murder trial moved to another county. He's worried about a tainted jury pool at this point. Um, but it's interesting, the records he's seeking are, are from all the police departments, I believe, on the Cape. And he's trying to, to uh, say that, he, if you know, he's saying that he believes these records may show uh, that these police departments engaged in a concerted effort to use a show of force that would taint the jury pool, and other things that happened uh, right after the killing, including, um, I think, some social media posts uh, using the number 125, which they said at the time was how many uh, entries he had on his uh, criminal record, um, and and calling for the death penalty as well by some of these right. police officers. It's an interesting back and forth in court. Wheeler uh, Calperthwaite was there uh, for us, 
and and reporting on it um, where uh, basically again the the attorney um, made these uh, these arguments and was looking for these documents uh, Joseph, Joseph Krauski um, and uh, Judge Robert Rufo uh, responded to Krauski's uh, basically assertions that he believes there's a going to be a treasure trove of information about kind of this concerted effort and and the idea that these officers showed up armed on duty essentially and showed up for court right. we have some photos uh, go with this story that were, were with the original stories about the arraignment uh, that show this sea of officers really in the courtroom um obviously there they say you know certainly to support uh you know their fallen uh, uh comrade um and, but rufo came back and said listen this is we're an open courtroom He's, he wasn't challenging uh, Krauske, he said, but he said, we're an open courtroom. I'm not going to stop anybody from coming into this court, you know, obviously within bounds of, of behavior and everything, including police and, you know, police officers making their opinion know, known. They have First Amendment right to do so. Uh, and he said, I'm not about to abridge anybody's rights. So it will be interesting. Among the the uh, documents that this lawyer is seeking uh, are not only from police that he says would show this concerted effort, but also from um, uh, us, the Cape Cod Times and, and uh, one of our sister publications, the Barnstable Patriot, um, seeking all of our uh, reporting on this. He said uh, at the time, this is our published reporting, that, uh, that the, the lawyer said uh, it would be basically easier for us to find it than him. Okay, you know maybe that's some some work coming our way or not, but it's all it's all on the internet in any case. Uh, but an interesting request, uh, nonetheless. The more interesting of the two, probably being the the request from police. Again, our stories are our stories. Anybody can go look for them if they like. Um, the hearing on this, and and uh, again, looking at whether uh, uh, there be the the departments or or us, for instance, would be contesting these motions at all. It's going to be held uh, March 29th in Superior Court, and obviously the the case will go forward. Obviously, a change in venue. Uh, it does happen. It's rare. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not something that happens very often. We've had, uh, I think, one you know major case where that happened in the past uh, you know dozen years here on the Cape. Um, but it is rare, and and it's something where we also look at this case and wonder what the effect in the end will be. This to to the prosecutors to the police this is an open and shut case there were lots of police in the area at the time witnesses right. you know there's there's uh, not a whole you know a lot of defenses that that can be mounted here um and moving it and it was also you know basically statewide nationally uh, a, a a publicized event obviously and for obvious reasons so where you would go where you know a jury uh wouldn't you know, end up with with uh, a finding of guilty as a question, um, and and we don't even know what the the defense attorney is going to be seeking in terms of what he's going to be asking. So, it'll be uh, certainly interesting to see that going forward. Um, and then, looking back, uh, the Trudy Hall uh, uh, killing. This was back in uh, 2010. Um, and uh, um, do do you remember this? Do did you look at this story and and have some recollection of all that going on? It seems like a long time ago, but at it the does. time it was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, this young woman, Trudy Hall, 23 from Nantucket, uh, disappeared. Uh, she came to Cape Cod from Nantucket at the time, and uh, she was pregnant at the time. There was a lot of uh, reporting that we did at the time, you know, finding out that she was married uh, uh, to a man and, and maybe to a couple of men. Um, and there was some question about whether that was some sort of uh, way for them to get immigration status. Um, and 
they, they, they found her car uh, a couple of days after she was reported missing, I believe, uh, in the Barnstable uh, Route 6 uh, parking lot. Um, but it was two years before they found her body. Um, the uh, person who was charged and eventually convicted, Quazel Wilson, uh, was uh, apparently uh, having an affair with uh, Trudy Hall as well, in addition to her being married. Um, and uh, he was eventually convicted of uh, first-degree murder. Um, there's an automatic appeal that occurs, uh, you know, uh, whenever it's a first-degree murder conviction. Um, and that was actually put on hold, uh, that had been filed, put on hold because his attorney was seeking a new trial. She filed for a new trial in August of 2018. Um, and uh, essentially, uh, again, this is Judge Robert Rufo, who we mentioned earlier in the other case in Barnesville Superior Court, denied that motion uh, for a new trial. And so now, you know, uh, we're going to see she, uh, I think it, that was denied on February 25th. And uh, the attorney here um, has already uh, filed an appeal, uh, a notice of appeal with the Supreme Judicial Court. So it sounds like that's going to go to the state's highest court. She's basing her appeal on the idea that uh, a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision said that police needed search warrants to obtain more than two weeks of uh, cell, uh, cell phone records. At the time, that was a really big deal in the case. That was a really big deal as they were searching even for the body uh, was to try and uh, track Quasa Wilson's cell phone records, right. her cell phone records. And and eventually, again, they did find the body. And eventually, they did get the conviction. But uh, obviously, it's one that uh, he is fighting at this point. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Um, now, the big story of this week, Christine, is another one by you, uh, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. We've been following this for years and years. You've been following it uh, extensively, um, and it's had a lot of problems. And uh, they're closing, uh, coming up, and uh, they've uh, now jumped, let's say, from the worst performing category to the best performing category. How does this work? It is. It's the one that, where there's just standard oversight. Okay. And so that is a huge leap. I, I think that uh, Entergy's two other plants that had been down in column four, the Arkansas plants back a couple of years ago, they only made it back to column two. They weren't immediately propelled up to column So this five. isn't a frequent thing going from yeah. column four to column one, and that's the that's the one to four, one, two, three, four, are the, are the kind of status that, that you could have as the plan. What, goes, what happens beyond column four? You're shut down. Shut so down. column five is you're dead. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're not doing anything. Yeah, okay. So what was the reasoning, and, and uh, this was uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that, that yes. came out with this finding. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission, when they placed them in column four back in September 2015, started to work with Entergy on uh, determining what exactly, defining what the issues were, the deficiencies, and they came up with a list of 156 that they published in this action letter. <clears throat> Entergy had to then um, address all of those, and there were inspections that would be related to certain parts of those. Well, in January of this year, they finished up the last 40 on the list. So the 156 had all been addressed. And that is the reason behind this change in status. Because looking at this past year, I mean, people are kind of scratching their heads. The plant was closed for 60 days. It had multiple equipment problems with feed water systems, valves, you know, installed backwards the kinds of things that have always been connected to the plant. Mm -hmm. But what um, the NRC said was that they had shown steady improvement in human performance, corrective actions, 
wrist recognition and even conservative actions of, you know, in the face of something, let's say they found something that might not be right, they would shut down a power down and check it right away rather than waiting for it to break. Okay. So that those were all things that, that That's were reassuring with a nuclear plant, by the way, if you find something that yes. might not be right that you shut down you know, uh, quick. So, okay. So, so... So they checked, that was a, a long list. They checked off all those things. But there, were, again, as you said, there were still things happening throughout yes. this year. Those don't, uh, and we talked about this yesterday, those don't add to that list. That, it's, it doesn't that affect That list this. was established in 2017 mm -hmm. by a formal letter. It's agreed upon by both sides. It's like a, a formal document yep. that isn't adjusted. So all of the things that happened since then, and I think people are going to be wondering because there's a meeting coming up on March 26th, which is the typical annual assessment meeting. They have it every year. You know, they'll be interested in this column one thing, but they're going to be interested in last year. Yeah. You know, 2018, where the plant was closed for 60 days. Yeah. And all, you know, systems, feed water systems valves that had been addressed back in 2016 that were again not working right and all that kind of stuff so to them what they say is you know this kind of stuff is still going on and these are people who are, are uh, opponents of the plants operation or legislators who are representing constituents who have had uh, long-running concerns as you said uh, with the plant um, and, and again to put this in some perspective only as your reporting says here only nine plants since 2000 since this was kind of established this action matrix was yeah. established have been placed in column four so of the hundred or so you know plants in the country okay. our plant in Plymouth uh, we call it ours because certainly it, ha it has potential effects for Cape Cod and the whole southeastern part of Massachusetts um, uh, is one of only nine that have gone into this category and then it's it's closing down how many of those plants have come uh, have st been in category four when they've closed down? None. Okay. And so I think that is another thing that makes people suspicious. Like, okay, we're going to put these guys back in column one because it doesn't look good. Mary uh, Lampert, who is really outspoken, Duxbury resident, uh, started a citizens group, Pilgrim Watch, mm -hmm. you know, decades ago. And she called this um, change in status a public relations maneuver by the NRC to show that its oversight had completely turned the plant around. In other words, they felt it reflected on them. Yep. And uh, that was her take on it. Yep. She, her quote, uh, it's like w the Wild West, they're going out in a blaze of glory, was what she said. But uh, again, speaking to somebody from the NRC, uh, he pointed out to you that, that you know, in a column one plant, you basically get about 5,700 hours uh, of uh, normal inspection activities. During 2018, this plant had 11,300 hours, so so almost double. They would obviously point out that it's been scrutinized uh, quite a bit because it was yes. in column four and because of these issues. Uh, so that scrutiny was ongoing when some of these other problems were cropping up. Um, yes. uh, but but as they say, well, we were just, we were being conservative in a lot of those instances. Um, a lot of people would say, you know conservative is good but they wanted they want to see this plant shut down and as you said they think this is a little bit of a um 
whitewashing of of how things have been going there basically yes um so we're looking at when's the plant shutting down again it's uh it's uh, june one june it's, one it will be by june one which so. will be a big deal this thing has this plant has been operating for 46 years or something yep, like that 46. uh went through a relicensing which was a big deal at the time uh it's had all these issues it's now in this column one but this this uh, this meeting coming up will talk about further issues and then there's decommissioning which you've been covering um yes. and that's still an active thing How, how's that playing out uh there's been a, a lot of talk of that with the um attorney general Maura healy yeah. filing a motion to intervene as far as the license transfer it, uh, the plan is for holtec which is a decommissioning company that's what their specialty yeah. is to take on pilgrim to take it over and do all the decommissioning work, and they promised to do it in eight years rather than in Entergy's, um, their uh, estimated time is 60 years. 60 years, so. So that has um, a lot of attraction as yeah. far as the public goes, and get certainly Plymouth yep. to get that uh, land freed up again. But um, the Attorney General wants to make sure that there's enough money to get this done. And I think that's the big question. Nobody thinks there is. Yeah, who's going to foot the bill if the there's well, money that's yeah. been put aside uh, specifically for the decommissioning of plants and, and also for the storage of, of spent fuel. And that's the money that Holtec will be relying on. They say they can do it with a couple million dollars to spare. Is that what they'd said? Yes, very limited. Which, it's like three million. That's which it. three million, you know, a, a big organization can go through three million pretty easily yeah. and that's the concern from the AG and from others that that's not a lot of buffer that's very little buffer yeah. in, in reality and so if it gets more expensive than that who's going to pay that bill is are things going to get done are corners going to be cut again a whole nother stage of of uh, pilgrims uh continued existence really is this decommissioning uh, process so it'll be interesting and, and everybody can continue to follow your reporting on that uh, was there anything we missed on on uh, the uh, um, performance category change or anything like that I mean I think that was no I think we got it covered the one thing I wanted to say is that Senator Markey um, actually sent a letter this week and in it um, he has outlined all of the corners to be cut exemptions to be sought that are already out there like taking the emergency planning zone which um, the plant owner under the emergency planning system yeah. has to pay for training for centers you know for traffic how are you going to get people out yeah. if there is and um, they want to pull it right back to the property line mm -hmm. within 10 months which has been done at other plants yep and uh, what Marky's saying, you know, is, well, what about terrorists? What about everything? Um, radiological monitoring, that's another thing. Is that going to vanish? So he brought up a lot of issues that people are nervous about. Still worried about. And, yeah. and, and again, these exemptions have been sought as the plant's gone towards decommissioning. They're basically saying, why are you going to require us to do this? We're not going to be operating, you know, actively after uh, this year. Um, but there is still going to be spent fuel. Um, and there's still going to be concerns about uh, the safety and security of that spent fuel. So a lot to cover. Everybody should keep watching uh, Christine's reporting for all of that. Um, looking ahead, we have a story coming up uh, about uh, the somewhat surprised reopening of Highland Light in Truro. It was uh, supposed to be shut down for um, quite a while for a major renovation project, and, and uh, Cape Cod National Seashore is saying that they're going to try and open it up uh, so that folks can can access that lighthouse. And um, yeah, there was like a kind of a last climb at the, I think, the end of last year that we had covered. 
apparently it's not the last climb in the <laughs> foreseeable future. So uh, watch for that story coming up. Thanks again for joining us. Tell your friends, share the link, tell all your uh, family to watch us. We, we are uh, here uh, for you at CapeCodTimes.com where, where news starts on Cape Cod. Until next week, uh, good morning, good luck. Thank you very much, Christine. Thanks. Happy St. Patrick's Day.